For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of the Reed Option Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jordan Reed. And just like every Tuesday show, I am joined by Dre Harris. Then also Brentley Wiseman have the full band together for another great show, kicking off another great week of football action. So, Dre, welcome back, man. How's everything going with you? Good, man. Uh, glad to be back and uh, ready, to, ready to get this podcast started and talk some ball. Friendly, how about you? Good, good as well. Uh, another weekend in the books. Spent, gosh, I think I was in front of my TV for 14 hours on Saturday from 9 a.m. all the way until 11 p.m. watching the end of the Oregon Duck game. And then same thing on Sunday. Uh, we had an awesome slate of games all the way through the Sunday night game with the Niners and Packers. Just a hell of a week of football. And then even tonight, you know, we saw some good stuff again tonight. So um, we're, in the, we're in the middle of the season and we're in the thick of things and couldn't be happier. Yeah, there's a lot of great football on this past weekend, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this. My work, my my remote got to work out for sure <laughs> this weekend, just going back and forth between so many games. But I want to start with the Dallas-Philadelphia game just because that game is just now ending as of recording this podcast. 41-21 Dallas, a dominating victory, in my opinion. It was not an entertaining game at all. I think Dallas really dominated the game from start to finish, so – Biggest takeaways, something that you learned, and then something that stood out to you. Brentley, I'll come back to you first. Yeah, I mean, a few things really stuck out to me, and that's the play of Trayvon Diggs, corner, and the second-year corner out of Alabama. I thought he was everywhere tonight. You know, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a big kid, long, physical press man corner who he's really struggled as a rookie, I thought, last year. But this year, so far, he's playing sensational, and really tonight – in particular, I thought he was was awesome. Really locked up Devontae, uh, Devontae Smith, I thought, all night. I had the pick six. I think he tackles really well. And I just think Dan Quinn has his kid playing outstanding football for the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, they're second there was a major question mark heading into the year. And if they can continue to get play like, like they're getting out of digs, when you think about some of the pass rushes they have, when, once uh, Demarcus Lawrence comes back, you have Micah Parsons doing his thing. You, you love the linebackers. I mean, the, the, this defense could be actually be not bad, you know, especially if, if Diggs continues his, his upward trajectory. I think that's one of the most surprising things of the season so far with how well Dallas's defense is playing and then how bad the Washington football defense has looked. <laughs> we thought the opposite of both of those. So that's one of my – Big takeaways from this game is just how well Dallas's defense is playing. And I think he was spot on with Trayvon Diggs, just how the light bulb was really came on from him 
in the second year. And we all can relate to this coaching matters as far as the scheme that you're playing in. And he seems to be playing much faster in this Dan Quinn type of scheme. And, you know, with the DBs that Quinn has had in years past, he really fits the mold of what Quinn is looking for. So I think the scheme is doing a really good job of just allowing him to play fast and he's taking the next step in his development. But, Drake, what about you? What are some things that really stuck out to you in this game? Yeah, a couple of takeaways. Uh, one, I'm really pulling for my um, former co-worker, Nick Sirianni, man. Um, tough situation for uh, out in Philly. Um, and uh, first, before I talk about Philly, uh, I, I think that the Dallas defense is much improved. Of course, I think they drafted uh, six defensive draft picks. I mean, so uh, clearly uh, getting improving on defense uh, was the emphasis for them. But um, I thought that Jalen Hurts has some uh, has some impressive moments. Um, he's got happy feet um, in the pocket some, but I think that uh, even my feet would even be happy playing behind that offensive line. Um, I, I'm I'm wondering what he would do if he uh, had the luxury of playing behind the Dallas uh, Cowboy uh, offensive line, man. I mean, because he uh, was running for his life, man. I mean, but uh, they got a long way to go uh, out in the field. Yeah, they do. They were missing their big left tackle, Jordan Maialata, this game. Andre Diller stepping in for him. And, you know, predictably, he did struggle in this game. And whenever you're missing your left tackle as a quarterback, I'm very uncomfortable with that. And when we're talking about my blind side, too. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think Hurts definitely had some high moments. And then there were some moments that were a little bit questionable that he had the early interception to Anthony Brown where he just left the ball a little bit too far inside on the deep ball and then some others that were just inaccurate, too. So, a lot of takeaways from this game overall. You know, with those those division battles, you never really know what's going to happen with them. And we know, for whatever reason, <laughs> this division just keeps getting on primetime games. The NFC East, for whatever reason, the NFC East is always going to draw a big crowd when we're talking about a national audience. But I want to remind the crowd about Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all of the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use your promo code BLEAV to receive your bonus. That's B L E A V. To receive your bonus from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, so in the NFL today, something else I wanted to touch with you guys is that we had the very rare player for player trade. Something that we don't see a lot in the NFL usually is player for draft picks or some other type of conversation. And not only did we have a player for player trade, it was a very notable player that we spent a lot of time debating last year with a top 10 pick in CJ Henderson. Some rumors came out of where he kind of was on the outs. And then, you know, there were some circumstances that happened during last draft that we thought were just odd when they selected Tyson Campbell in the second round after already signing Shaquille Griffin to that big, contract that they did the four-year deal there in Jacksonville so there just seemed to be the odd man out type of situation with CJ Henderson you see some of the players coming out and saying that he was just a little bit different didn't really fit into the locker room 
Uh, I forget who said it. I don't want to misquote who it was. But somebody said that he was just a little bit different and he really didn't fit in with what Urban was trying to do down there. And you saw the rumors coming out in training camp of that he potentially was on the trading block. And it officially happened with the Panthers. The Panthers ended up trading Dan Arnold in a fifth round in a third round selection, excuse me, in exchange for CJ Henderson and also a fifth round selection as well. So just overall thoughts on the trade, what you thought of CJ Henderson coming out and then how this pairing with J.C. Horn could work. And I know J.C.'s on IR right now with the, the broken bones in his foot, but just talking about the young duo there in Carolina to go with this defense that's very exciting. So, Dre, I'm going to come to you first. Just what you thought of Henderson coming out, and then do you like or dislike the trade for the Panthers? Uh, uh, yeah, man. Um, so I think that uh, Jacksonville uh, gets a, a, another uh, another weapon for Trevor Lawrence and Dan Arnold. Arnold's uh, an athletic tight end who can get, get vertical. He's really good uh, on seam routes, has some really nice flashes while he was in Arizona a year ago. But I really like what Carolina did. Uh, my good friends, Phil Snow and Jason Simmons, got a talented, a talented cornerback with size, speed, and outstanding agility. Hopefully they can push the right buttons and get the most out of that talent and C.J. Henderson, which made him such a coveted high draft pick. Um, but as we know, sometimes the change of scene is good. So hopefully uh, they can find a way to um, to maximize uh, his talent and, and uh, bring bring that out. Plus, he's playing with an outstanding pass rush, too. So um, I like what uh, Carolina did here. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Phil Snow just because he has those dudes playing some dang good football right now, man. Some of the stuff that he's doing, the creativity that he's using with that defense, he has them playing some really good football right now. And, I mean, this isn't anything that's new for him. He's been with Matt Rule forever. And then we know that Matt Rule is a program changer after he pretty much strips it down to the studs and being able to rebuild it back up. And that's what they've done with the Panthers so far. Phil Snow has been the guy that's been in his hip pocket everywhere that he has been too. So, yeah, I mean, it's not surprising to see what Phil Snow is able to scheme up with this defense and then some of the toys that he has to play with. I really like this defense, man. I think they're one of the better ones in the league to me. But Brentley, I'll come to you. Just your overall thoughts on Henderson when he was coming out. And then just some positives and negatives that you see from the trade from both sides with Jacksonville and then also the Panthers. Yeah, real quick, I actually learned a uh, fun fact about Phil Snow. I didn't really know too much about the guy. Turns out he's from my hometown, Winters, California, a town of 6,000 people. So you would think I would have known that he came from my town considering he's an NFL defensive coordinator, but I had no idea. So shout out Phil Snow, keep doing your thing. They have a fan in me as a fellow uh, small town winters winters kid, but anyways, I think I think the Panthers hit a home run here. I mean, this is a very low risk, high reward trade. You're you able to get a former top ten overall pick only in his second year for Dan Arnold, who is a good player, but you, they clearly like what they have in Tommy Trembell. They, they wanted to get him on the field, and then you're just giving up a third round pick again. This is a very low risk, high reward. I thought T.J. Henderson was a was a phenomenal prospect. He has the size, he has the length, he has the athleticism. He plays physical. He can play man. He can play press. I think he's good in zone. He's super athletic. I mean, he has he's everything you want from a physical trait standpoint that you want in the outside corner. And then when you think about what a healthy J.C. Horn and C.J. Henderson, what that duo can do, I remember we're talking two perimeter corners who can both play man. 
So that means you can you can do a whole bunch from blitzing. You, it, it opens up your defense, and you have guys that can hang out on an island like these two have shown that, that they, they can do. Um, and I just think about the team speed that the Panthers are building on defense at all levels of the field with Brian Burns. You have Shaq Thompson, Jermaine Carter. Now you have uh, C.J. Henderson, J.C. Horn, Dante Jackson, and Jeremy Chen. I mean, this defense is absolutely phenomenal. I want to say it's five first-round picks on this defense. Now you have it's six when you include Henderson. I mean, my gosh, I love what Scott Fitterer, Matt Rule, and these guys are doing, how they're building this football team. This young defense is is really only going to get better, too, because they are they all are all so young. Um, I'm excited to watch them grow and develop together, but I, I love this move for Carolina. And then the footballs for Jacksonville, I just feel like they could have gotten more. And, again, you know, I don't know what the details were about – it had just how badly they wanted to get Henderson out of the building. But when I think about corners situations across the league, like whether it's the Niners, the Eagles, or whoever, you're trying to tell me those teams wouldn't have offered more than a third-round pick in a, in a tight end? I mean, the Niners are desperate. I mean, they, they have nobody covering, covering guys right now. They had to sign Josh Norman off the street, and he's hurt. You're trying to tell me you couldn't get a second-round pick from the, from the Niners? I don't know. I just feel like the Jaguars probably could have – got a little more in return, but then again, maybe maybe they're just desperate to get rid of him. Yeah, and I mean, we can sit here and speculate as far as what people were offering for C.J. Henderson. We don't know how high people were on Henderson or what exactly the offers were on the table, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm surprised that San Fran didn't come in and really offer more, uh, but maybe also they just really liked Dan Arnold. Maybe yeah. they felt like there was a huge need for them at tight end. We know Dan Arnold has been a productive player when he did uh, come in the building as well, even going back to his days at Arizona, he was a productive player for them there too. So maybe it's a situation of where they just liked Arnold more than some of the other deals that they had on place on the table. But as far as Carolina, I love this deal for them, man. Whenever you have two cornerbacks that can lock up on the outside, that changes everything for you. And then you're talking about the pressure with the sign Reddick and then also Brian Burns too. So not only do you have the two young cost controlled corners, on the outside, but you also have two defensive ends that can get go and get you a sack at any point, too. So, yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I love this Panthers defense combined with a wizard as a play caller and Phil Snow, too. You have playmakers at all three levels of the field. You got big Derrick Brown in the middle. And I think no team has reached over, like, 50 rushing yards so far this year against them, which is just crazy. So you got Derrick Brown in the middle. You got those two speedsters on the outside. You got Shaq Thompson in the middle. And then you got that freak in the back end and Jeremy Chin, too. Let's not forget about him. That's super athletic, too, to go along with J.C. Horn and then now C.J. Henderson, too, and Dante Jackson as well. It was a very good corner, too. So speed, speed, speed everywhere, like we've been saying. Yeah, That's the I great mean, thing about this Panthers defense. And then, you know, they're gunning for the Bucs. I'm not saying that they're as good as Tampa Bay, but we know Tampa Bay has weapons everywhere. But now you have people to match, and then you also have that team speed two matches as well and I think that's what Carolina saw when they were making a trade like this like hey we're undefeated we're trying to go for it this year we think we have the team to do it so why not let's go swing for the fences we get a young once again cost control corner that's signed for the next what two to three years pending his fifth year option too which could be another year for them in a cost control way too so yeah I think Scott Fitter hit a home run taking a chance on the talent like this no doubt and, and real quick I mean he probably won't make it just because Fred Warner and Bobby Wagner play on the same conference, but Shaq Thompson honestly has been 
ridiculous this this season. He's been so dang good um, playing middle linebacker for the Panthers. It's, it's, it's great to see him really step into his own without Luke Kuechly and Thomas Davis. Um, he's been phenomenal. And, and just him in the middle of that defense with all the pieces you've mentioned, Jordan, it's, it's sky's the limit for this young Panthers defense. And, and the team is looking like they could be make some noise here. Yeah, and there's some pieces that aren't even healthy that they still have to. Yeter Grosmatos hasn't even been healthy. We know what he's capable of too. So they they gotta they can send pressure in waves, especially with team speed too. So yeah, I'm excited to see how they end up doing finishing out this year, even though we're only what three, four weeks in. So uh I wanna go ahead and move on, uh, just because I wanna stay on schedule here and talk about our college football game balls of the week and just introducing to this segment to some of you guys is just some of the players that we thought really caught our eye this week so Brentley I'm gonna come back to you who were some players that you would give your game balls out to this week yeah starting with uh one of my red dot players from uh, the Friday show Jordan was Traylon Burks Arkansas receiver um you know I said it I said on the Friday podcast I thought that he was kind of getting left out in terms of the receiver class. We didn't really have his marquee game like we've seen Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave both have multiple times this season. And I just wanted to see him step up on a, on a major kind of major spotlight game against AM of a top 10 team. I wanted to see what he can do. And he didn't disappoint. I think he had six receptions for 167 yards and a TD. You know, in every gotta have it moment, they went to him and he delivered. Um, big athletic receiver excellent ball skills excellent body control you love what he can do after the catch uh, he's unique he is he's big physical he, he's a really unique player you can move him all over the alignment whether it's in the slot attached to the line of scrimmage outside in the backfield he can do it all um and i really i really appreciated his game on a big stage so i think he's firmly in the conversation to be wide receiver one um, he's definitely, to me, a first-round prospect, and it was really good to see him kind of live up to that pre-draft pedigree, which we gave him, you know, over the summer. I can't help but to see A.J. Brown when I'm watching him. He has that similar type of build, similar game, strong hands, plays through contact really well. And like we talked about on last week's show, we're really not going to find out, like, his potential, I think, until he gets to the next level just because they kind of treat him like the best kid on the high school team. And they just use them wherever they need them, whether it's Wildcat quarterback, running back, slot. It doesn't really matter. You got to pause the screen to find out where he is pre-snap just because he's playing all over the place. But, Dre, what about you? Who are some players you're giving your game balls out to this week? Uh, So my first game ball is going to be to a guy who um, who is who is playing out of his mind so far, Jake Hayner, uh, quarterback at Fresno State. Man, listen, if you don't know – who this kid is, you better get familiar. He is flat out throwing a cover off the ball uh, out in Fresno, man. I mean, he, he's he been nothing short of outstanding since the season started. Uh, nearly upset Oregon uh, early in the season, um, but he played extremely well that game as well. He led the game winning drive uh, to upset uh, UCLA by completing five straight passes on the drive while he was hobbled, limping, and injured. Uh, he leads the nation in passing yards with nearly 1,900 yards. Uh, 15 touchdowns uh, with two picks. Uh, he's completed 73% of his passes with an average of 10 yards per attempt. I mean, and the most important thing is that Fresno State has uh, has to be the favorite to win the Mountain West, man. I mean, so he's not very big, but he is he's competitive as hell. He's playing out of his mind, man. I mean, he is, in my opinion, thrust himself into the tier two uh, conversation 
um, of this year's class, man. Is let me ask you this, Trey. Is he kind of like a Gardner Minshew type, as far as like from a physical standpoint, or is he a little bit? You think his potential is a little bit better than that? He's not very big, man. I, I think he's six oh one oh maybe. 200 pounds. I mean, but there are there are three or four of those guys, you know, with similar size in this uh, this current class, man. I mean, but so he's not going to necessarily wow you with his physical traits, man. I mean, he has a strong arm, though. I mean, yeah, he, he, he get the ball where it needs to get, man. I mean, and most importantly, man, the guy's a gamer, man. He he is a winner. This is his second consecutive year, man, of of just throwing the cover. Uh, off for the ball, man. I mean, so um, he's playing inspired ball and uh, it's showing, man. I mean, so if you don't know about this kid, man, I mean, he's he's going to thrust himself uh, into the lineup. It wouldn't it would not surprise me if he's firmly on the list for uh, both the senior bowl and shrine. I mean, because he's balling, man. He's playing extremely well. Yeah, real quick, real quick. I'm just about Jake Hanner just being on the West Coast. And Dre, you said it like, he gave Oregon everything that they that they could handle in week one. And and I just remember just thinking like, dude, who is this kid? I didn't I didn't know anything about him uh when when we played. I think he's super athletic. He he's he's he can run the football, which I think separates him from Gardner Minshew. I mean, Jay said it. I mean, he has a strong he does have a strong arm for being undersized. And then he's his instincts is a piece of playmaker and he's so damn tough. Like I'm really happy you brought him up, Dre, because I was curious. Um Kind of what you and Jordan both thought is of him as an NFL prospect. I obviously we, I think we all know he's an outstanding college football player. But the more we watch him play, it's like at some point we, I mean, I, I think we all are. We got to start taking him seriously as an NFL prospect. And I think again, like our group is, but I think it's time for kind of the national media to start paying attention. Like Jake Hayner is more than just a good college quarterback. This kid is. He's, he's, he's an NFL player. Like, he's an NFL player at this point. It's, it's great because we, we needed new names. <laughs> we needed new names in this class, and it's and, and glad Jake Hanner's stepping up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I haven't watched him. I, I got some games loaded up that I'm going to check him out probably here tonight or tomorrow so I can catch up on him. Oregon is one that I definitely want to get to. I already played well. And then UCLA, yeah, they said he had some tough moments in that game too. So I'm going to definitely check him out. And I'll be, I'll be ready to discuss him next show. For sure. But, yeah, keep an eye on Jake Hayner. Uh, did you guys have any more players that you wanted to add as far as your yeah, game balls? Yeah, I had uh, two more. I can just gloss over them quickly. Um, this is a guy in, in the Pac-12, uh, Thomas Booker, defensive end, edge from Stanford. I mean, he was all over the place Saturday against UCLA. I think he finished with 10 tackles and a sack. They move him inside and outside, but he was just extremely disruptive. He's quick off the ball, violent hands. He shows some power at the point of attack. He's a relentless motor. Um, he's a kid I had some love with coming into the season. And to me, he he, he was, again, everywhere Saturday. In, U, in UCLA, they, they, they displayed an outstanding offensive game plan. Um, but I thought Booker held his own uh, on the Stanford defense. Then my last guy, real quick, is uh, North Carolina's quarterback, Devin Leary. I mean, he, he was a baller on Saturday night, getting the upset against Clemson. I think he had four touchdowns. He completed 72% of his passes, no picks, clearly outplayed BJ Ungolale. Um, this kid, I mean, he showed some moxie. He had an outstanding throw in overtime for that game-winning touchdown. It was right in the corner of the end zone. Outstanding catch, but I thought the throw was really good. Um, he, he was phenomenal 
So give him give him a game ball. Give Thomas Booker a game ball. Yeah, and uh, my last one, man, is uh, actually Jake Hayner's wide receiver guy named Jalen Cropper. He is balling, man. He's playing well. Um, he's got excellent speed, man, quickness, uh, really good separation quickness at the top for the route. Uh, on Saturday, he had 10 catches for 108 yards and four touchdowns as they beat the brakes off of UN, uh, UNLV. Um, he is averaging nearly 100 yards per game. Um, but he's playing well, man, and he's tied. Uh, he's tied for the most receptions and most receiving touchdowns in the nation. So I mean, uh, he's playing extremely well, and he's fast, and he's quick, man. He's six foot. Uh, so keep an eye on Jalen Cropper, man, wide receiver, Fresno State. It's the great thing about recording with two West Coasters. I get a new name to write on every show just because it's back 12 and Mountain West after dark for me here. Those games come on 10:30, 11:30. I catch myself snoozing off and then waking back up at like one or two in the morning and catching some of those games late at night. So definitely wrote down both of those names that you mentioned. But my one game ball of the week, I'm going to circle back to NC State and the person actually protecting Devin Leary. Offensive tackle Akeem Aquanu. Like, I'm not sure if y'all have watched him this year, but that dude is balling. He's playing really, really well. I watched him against Mississippi State, South Florida, uh, against Furman who's a one double opponent, FCS opponent, and then against Clemson, he's been dominant in all three of them, or all four of them, I should say. And the names that I wrote down was Kelechi Assembly, watching yeah. him when he was coming out of Iowa State. And if you think about just how nasty he was, has that guard tackle flexibility, turns like, like every block he has, he finishes somebody on the ground. And it's so easy. He's of Nigerian descent. He has that strong type of body where he's just pushing people around all the time. So I'm a big fan of Akeem Aquanu. And if you guys have not watched him this year, I haven't seen too many offensive linemen that are playing better ball than him right now. I put him in the first round of my mock draft. I think he's a first-round prospect. I think that highly of him. So keep an eye on Aquanu as well as the other players that we have given game balls to this week. But let's go ahead and talk about the landscape of college football. And since we're on the subject of NC State, we know they got the big double overtime victory over Clemson this week, 27 to 21, which was a thrilling game. And Clemson just doesn't look like Clemson this year. They have a lot of issues on both sides of the ball, more so offense than defense. And once again, that defense just was not able to hold up, even though they've been playing really well this year. But the struggles of that offense finally caught up to them. And that Clemson defense just couldn't hold on anymore. Andrew Booth, I think this was easily the worst game of his career. Ended up giving up two touchdowns in this game, even though he did slip on the one in the red zone. But obviously there's there's some concern there with their defense. But the offense, DJ Uwe Ungalele just has not lived up to the billing, even though he looked really good in the, the two starts that he had for Trevor Lawrence a year ago. But he's just not seeing the field well right now. The game just looks way too fast for him. His receivers are not doing, not giving him any help at all as far as separating and then just the scheme. It's just not really creative right now as far as what Tony Elliott is trying to do. And I thought NC State's defense played really well. Their linebackers looked really good. The defensive line got after it. And then the secondary played really well. And as you mentioned, Brentley, Devin Leary was outstanding in this game too. So just maybe you guys tell me what's wrong with Clemson and then some of your biggest takeaways from this game. Trey, I'm going to come back to you first. Clemson, 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 man. I, I can't think of the last time that Clemson's been two and two. Um, they, they've fallen out of the top 25. Um, they can still uh, win the uh, win 
the conference. I mean, but but losing to North Carolina State could come back to haunt them uh, late in a year. And of course, Clemson's had some injuries, man, with Breezy being hurt um, and a few. Uh, uh, their back will uh, I can't think of his last name. Will Sh- Shipley. Shipley's hurt, right? And so like they've dealt with some injuries, but I think the thing is, is that they just haven't been able to put up as many points as they needed to on offense, man, and it's uh, and it's hurting them. It's really hurting them because, again, a defense can only be on the field for so long, man. I mean, so um, I, I think the 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 uh, their uh, their offense, man, is really hurting them um, uh, this year. Brantley, what about you? What'd you see in this game? Yeah, you know, I think this is something I said, Jordan, to you. Maybe Dre was on this podcast as well, but it was after the Georgia Clemson game. And I just said, look, like, I'm red flagging DJ Angelole. And I know he was facing Georgia's defense, and Georgia's defense is, you know, being talked about as one of the best defenses we've ever seen in college football, and that's fine. But when you watch the game, I just didn't see it with him. And it hasn't improved at all, you know, against no matter who he's playing. He's not seeing the field right. He has no touch all of a sudden. He's inaccurate, making poor decisions. Um, he's just not a dynamic thrower of the football, you know, and he's, he's a big physical athletic kid, but he does not strike me as a natural passer. Um, when you watch Bryce Young out of Alabama, the touch he has, accuracy he has, the poise he has, it's everything that DJ doesn't have. Um, so I think he is really my main issue. And I know people make excuses for him about in terms of the offensive line. What I would say was, when has Clemson ever had a good offensive line? I mean, I think John Simpson was drafted, then Jackson Carmen was drafted, but I can't recall any other Clemson offensive lineman that's been drafted since Dabo's been there when they had Lawrence and, and, uh, and, and Watson. Um, and then the receivers aren't stepping up. I granted, like, I mean, Justin Ross has been okay, but – uh, Nada has been a non-factor. They have no running game. This whole offense is a mess. But I do think it starts with the quarterback. He's just simply not – he's definitely not a top-10 guy, a top-first-round guy. I mean, he, he's not that. You know, he's, he's nowhere close to that right now. And then Dabo, you know, I mean, I mean, is, is Dabo – he's an outstanding recruiter, but clearly the, the, the fruits of his, 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 his return is not working out right now. And, you know, he needs to adjust. And he, so far we haven't seen him adjust. And, you know, well, I guess we're kind of seeing what Dabo looks like without a five-star, top-ten talent at quarterback because I don't think BJU is that. So we'll see. You know, but, again, I, I think I had a tweet out on Saturday. Not, it's not just Clemson. It's top teams around the country just simply don't look as good. And I don't know what the reason is, but Oklahoma ain't very good. Ohio State ain't very good. Um, shoot, Oregon's number three overall, and I think we, are, to be honest, I don't know if we're, we should be that that high. I just think this is a down year for the sport, and I really don't know why. Is it because we're coming off a pandemic year? Is it because just all the transfers and everything, the 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 NIL got all the kids thinking about other stuff? I have no idea, but I just feel like around the board there is no super team outside of Bama and Georgia. So. Um... My two comments about that is, um, as far as scheme, uh, there are things that the office coordinator can do scheme-wise that can protect the offensive line. The offensive line isn't very good. I mean, so 
Um, it doesn't look like Tony Elliott uh, is is doing that um, for their uh, for their offense. And then two, I don't know if it's a down year. I think there's there's just more parity now, right? Yeah. I think that the teams that weren't as good are more competitive this year. And I actually think they're only going to get even more competitive with the NIL stuff, right? I mean, so teams like SMU that weren't very good but are in these huge markets and so forth, you're going to see more parity uh, with teams that were at the bottom of certain conferences uh, that are in big cities, man. I mean, suddenly be able to get top flight three, uh, four-star, five-star guys. So I just think that there's more parity throughout the country. And that's a great point, just because I think that was one of the biggest reasons why everybody wanted a 12-team college football playoff, just because every year you had Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, those same Georgia, those same teams within it. But now there's a bunch of parity, as you guys mentioned. And I think it's great for the sports. It makes things unpredictable for the most part. And, I mean, after Alabama and Georgia, I don't even know who the third best team in the country is right now. It just seems like those two are just playing on a different level right now and Georgia hasn't even gotten consistent quarterback play JT Daniels is really starting to come into his own a little bit but he's been banged up primarily throughout this year so I think at the top it's easily Georgia and then also Alabama so I think that's the interesting thing about all of this but also quarterback play just seems to be down throughout the country not even just talking about like NFL draft wise but just talking about any draft class throughout the country. There isn't that young quarterback that you're like, man, I'm looking forward to when he becomes draft eligible like we did Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and some of these other guys. And I know there's always going to be somebody that comes out of nowhere. That's just how it goes with this. But I can't just think of like one freshman or sophomore to where I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait till this dude becomes draft eligible. So I think that's another thing, just the lack of quarterback play around the country. So now you're seeing a whole bunch of really good defensive teams or teams that just run the football or having a dominant rushing attack, like Texas. And one team that comes to mind just has a dominant rushing attack. And I know they got whooped up on by Arkansas. But just talking about the running back, and somebody we're looking forward to, B. John Robinson on Georgia Tech has a really good running back. And, you know, there's some other schools. Tank Bixby at Auburn is another one who's a really good back as well. Like, I can reel off running backs. I can talk about receivers that I like. But quarterbacks – I can't think of one young one throughout the country of where I'm just like, man, this dude is an absolute stud, but he's only a freshman or sophomore. It's a great point, man. It's a great point. I never thought of that, but that's a great point. I'd say for the past like five years, it's always been the like, sure, this guy's eligible. Wait till this guy, right? We, there ain't, there, there is no guy like that this year. That's Bryce Young, maybe, but I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the only one. yeah but I don't know how strong that arm is when it gets put onto the NFL level, but. I don't know. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. We'll see. Big game for them this weekend. Matt Corral mm-hmm. and Bryce Young going head to head, but we'll get to that on Friday's show. I'm really looking forward to that game this weekend. But let's go ahead and go to our next game, staying in the SEC. Uh, one of the few ranked matchups or ranked opponents that we had this this weekend, this past weekend, Texas A&M, Arkansas. Arkansas pulls off the victory, twenty to ten, and I think Arkansas is by far the most surprising team of anybody this year coming off of consecutive two and 10 lost seasons. And then also a three and seven record a year ago, nobody really predicted him to flip the switch. Like they have done. I think Arkansas is probably inside the top 10 now, if I'm not mistaken. So they have a lot of standout players on this, on this team, Traylon Burks. So we talked about a little bit earlier, Jalen Catalan, 
And then they have a transfer from Mizzou named Trey Williams, who's playing out of his mind right now along the defensive line. So they have some players that are stepping up. But how about Sam Pittman, former offensive line coach at Georgia, the way he's been able to turn around this program. And I tweeted about this a little earlier and that offensive line coaches usually aren't always the sexy hire just because for whatever reason in the coaching world, they just think if you hire an offensive line coach, they're not going to know a whole bunch about the passing game. And then everybody knows that it's all about the passing game when we're talking about college football and then the NFL football. But with those offensive line coaches, something that you're always going to get is culture changers. They're going to come in, they're going to gut the program, and they're going to build it the way that they want to build it. And that's what Sam Pittman has been able to do. We've seen what Mario Cristobal has been able to do at Oregon, the way he's changed around that program too. So I think something that we may see become a little bit more trendy throughout college football, maybe not necessarily the NFL, hiring offensive line coaches just because you get that authoritarian to come in to change the temperament of the program and then change things around much quicker than what you're accustomed to seeing. So that was something that I thought was really interesting. But just staying on topic with this game, Arkansas looked good, man. I really liked what I saw from them. They have playmakers over the field. That defense was flying around, playing well. They have a quarterback whose name is escaping me that really made some big-time throws in this game. He's a big dude as well, too. So I'm looking forward to seeing how Arkansas ends up playing this year, if they flame out or if they keep it up throughout the year. So, um, Dre, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think overall in this game between Texas A&M and Arkansas? I was thinking about uh, two players that are uh, firmly uh, in our top 100, man. Traylon Burst uh, obviously showed uh, showed in 2020 that he can be a versatile threat, aligning in several uh, several uh, several different, different positions in 2020. But his 85-yard touchdown on Saturday kind of read iterates that he can be a downfield threat as well. And I think that will only help his stock um, as he pushes to, to become a, a, a solidified day one prospect. And Isaiah Spiller, uh, he also broke, uh, broke off a long touch, a touchdown run and, and continues to be in the, uh, in the conversation for the top back in this class. I, I think that both RB1 and wide receiver one are wide open um, in my opinion, and both of those guys did nothing to hurt their causes. So I think they both play well. Good point about Spiller. I was really impressed with him in this game and the way he was able to elude tackles and juke defenders out of their shoes. I really liked what I saw in this game from him. But Brindley, what about you? What were some of your biggest takeaways from this game? My biggest takeaway is just how physical Arkansas plays. Like they really do on both sides of the football try to finish their opponent. I mean, the offensive line's mauling, mauling people over. Defensively, they're flying 11 highs to the football, just always trying to create turnovers. You can just tell this team is very well coached. They're tough. They know their assignment. But they also have top-tier talent. Like I, like we mentioned, I mean, Jalen Catalan's probably going to be a first-round pick, if not early second-round safety. Traylon Burks is right in contention for wide receiver one, as everyone mentioned. You know, they have, they have the skill players and the good coaching to make some noise in the SEC. Now, next week's obviously a huge test going against Georgia. I think that's who they have. Yeah. And so that's going to be a huge litmus test. I think Arkansas is ranked number eight overall in the country right now. So obviously top 10 matchup. We'll see. I mean, again, this this is we've seen this before where these newly highly ranked teams get humbled a little bit when they go up against a Georgia or Alabama. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how Sam Pittman has his team uh, ready to go. But overall, 
I thought the talent was on display for both sides. I thought DeMarvin Leal had a good game. Dre mentioned Isaiah Spiller. I thought he had a good game. <clears throat> I think just the talent was everywhere. So it was overall solid SEC uh, matchup. For sure. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to that matchup next week. We get Georgia and then also Arkansas. I think that's one of their biggest, te- biggest tests of the year after Texas A&M. So we'll get to see how uh, Burks does against this monstrous Georgia defense that's playing really, really well right now. And Georgia just got two big pieces back. They get big Darnell Washington coming back, the big six seven tight end, then Taki Smith as well, the transfer from West Virginia, who a lot of people are excited about to add to that already ferocious defense too. So my last game I want to talk about is Notre Dame and Wisconsin. And I forgot how we described it on the show a week ago, but it was exactly how we said the game was going to be. It sure was. It was an ugly, ugly game, but somehow. We both had Notre Dame winning. Yeah, somehow Notre Dame ends up pulling it out 41 to 13, and the score did not indicate just how ugly this game was. It was the Jack Cohen reunion. That's what we wanted to call it with them being the transfer from Wisconsin coming over to play against his old friends and the Badgers, and he ends up coming out on top. But, Brentley, I'm going to come to you first. Just what were your overall thoughts from this game and some of your biggest takeaways? My biggest takeaways is, gosh, I hate watching these bad quarterbacks. Like, it was a struggle watching both Graham Merritt and, and Jack Cohen. I mean, my gosh. They're but they're terrible. But, you know, the the one player that – outside of Cal Hamilton who had a really good game. Um, he's, he was everywhere. Made some excellent plays in man coverage. The one player, though, that I thought really stole the show and grabbed my attention, he's not even draft eligible, unfortunately – Notre Dame's tight end, uh, I think his name is Michael Mayer. Am I pronouncing that right, Jordan? This dude is something else. I've never seen a this guy, a guy this big, make catches, sideline catches, toe toe touches, so graceful. I mean, my gosh, he looks like Chris Carter out there. The way he can contort his body, toe tap the sideline. What is he like? Six five, two forty five, two fifty. I mean, my gosh, he's a soft, true sophomore. He like a tank, man. My, I mean, this dude is so good. Like I am all in on him I, this is my really first exposure to him jordan dre i'm sold i mean holy crap he, he is a phenomenal player um excited to continue watching him develop he, he'll be a name we talk about a lot next year for the 2023 draft but he to me stole the show he made he made the game which was truly awful uh worth watching um so not not, not too bad yeah mayor is he's a really really good player and i watched him in depth against Florida State, just because I'm embarrassed to admit that I'm actually a Florida State fan. But <laughs> he he was just a cheat code against Florida State. Like, they had no answer for him. Like, the entire first drive, he had, like, four or five catches Dude. by himself. They just had no answer for him. They ended up with a touchdown. Of course, they got the victory in that game, too. So, yeah, Michael Mayer is a player that we'll be talking about a lot this time next year leading up to the draft. But, Dre, what about you? What were some of your biggest takeaways from this Notre Dame-Wisconsin game? Yeah, I mean, clearly the huge storyline with Jack Cohen uh, being his former team. Uh, and, of course, uh, Wisconsin has a formidable defensive front as well. But the but the Notre Dame defense uh, really jumped out at me. I mean, clearly uh, it was a, a point of emphasis for them um, coming into the season. Uh, they had 15 turnovers all of last year and already have 11 this year. Um, the d- defense forced five turnovers uh, uh, this past Saturday against Wisconsin. Um, they also had two takeaways as Cam Hart uh, intercepted two balls. Um, but 
for them to go where they want to go late in the season, they're going to have to play better um, on offense, man, to score some more points. I mean, so um, while their defense stood out, I mean, they're, they're going to have to have a more balanced uh, offensive attack if they want to do what they would like to do uh, late in the season. That seems to always be the thing about Notre Dame is that they have a quarterback that's just good enough to get them to the college football playoff or get them to that ranked spot to be in contention for it. But they don't ever have that guy that can just get them over the hump and make them respectable on offense. We saw it with Ian Book, who was a great college quarterback, but that's just exactly what it was, what he was. He was just a really good college quarterback, but he wasn't that guy that you feared consistently in the past game. And I think Cone is the same way of where he's a good college quarterback, but you don't necessarily fear him consistently in the passing game or even on the next level. You don't really expect much from him. But I'm going to go ahead and go on to our next segment, and I'm going to talk about the NFL. We had the week three or the third week of the NFL. That is officially in the books. Plenty of things to talk about. I thought the Chargers looked phenomenal in their win over the Chiefs. Brandon Staley made a crucial fourth down call in there that they end up getting and then go, scoring the go-ahead touchdown. The Chargers look really good, man. Uh, I mean, that was a big win for them to go into Kansas City and win that game, especially having a young team. And we talk about process a lot of times with young teams going in and having that type of success. That was really big for them. On the flip side, Chicago does not look good at all. The game plan that they had for Justin Fields was awful. They had one passing yard in the game, which I can't figure out how you only have one passing yard in an NFL game. It's not looking good for Matt Nagy right now. A lot of people calling for his head in Chicago, and we know a big city like Chicago, when things start to go downhill for you, it's really hard for you to recover from that. So, uh, Brentley, I'm coming to you first. What were some of your biggest takeaways from week three of the NFL action? Yeah, I had a couple. I mean, obviously, I mean, what Justin Herbert did on the road in, in Arrowhead, I thought was nothing short of sensational. Um, you know, they, the Chargers haven't won in Arrowhead, to be honest, in, in quite some time. I think the last time was in 2018, double overtime with Mike Williams. Besides that, the Chiefs have had this team's number for, for the past really six, seven years. So I know for a first-year head coach, Daly, to get this win on the road where really it was, he, like you said, he made a crucial call not to, not to punt. Um, I'm gonna start not not to try a long field goal, go for it on fourth and nine, pick it up, and then keep the ball in the quarterback's hands and not not get scared. You know, didn't didn't um, clench up like, like we see a lot of coaches do in those situations. I thought it was phenomenal for a franchise which hasn't been known to lose those sort of games. So we'll see if they can take take that and and really kind of keep it going for the rest of the games of the year. But a couple other things I want to quickly talk about. Full disclosure, I had Juju Smith on my fantasy team, so I wanted to watch the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. Ben Roethlisberger, they have a major problem. I mean, they have a major, major problem. He is terrible. I mean, he honestly, I tweeted out he's the bottom five quarterback in the league this year. He might be bottom two, bottom three. He is that bad. And the issue with them is what do they do? Do they turn to Mason Rudolph? He couldn't have been any worse. I mean, he was – Ben Roethlisberger was so bad. Um, I mean, it's a mess. I mean, I don't know what, what you do if I'm Mike Tomlin because the defense isn't bad. It's the offensive line that's really bad. But Big Ben, he makes awful decisions. He's a statue in the pocket, can't move at all. His arm looks shot. I, I think they're better off going with Mason Rudolph. I really do. Because at the very least, I think he can get out of the pocket a little bit more by time with this bad offensive line. 
Uh, I mean, it, it, it's brutal. I mean, they are a team that's definitely going to be in the quarterback market, whether that's trade, free agency, draft. There is no way they're running it back with Big Ben. It, it was ugly on Sunday. But then lastly is Dan Campbell. I mean, he people joke about him all offseason, all of his slogans, the kneecaps, everything. They're 0-3. But they've been in every football game. They're competitive, man. I tell you what, I've been really impressed with the Detroit Lions. We had we had them as slappies. We thought they were going to be the laughing stock. They're not a laughing stock. They're a tough, physical team. They compete to every down. You know, they may not show it in the win loss column, but I, I'm, I've been impressed. I really have. Um, I think he he deserves some praise, in my opinion, he, for what he had and with what, what he inherited from Patricia. Patricia. I think. You know, he's, he's done a good job this year. So those are my three takeaways. And that's something that you want to see, especially when you're going through a rebuild. You still want to make sure that you're competitive yeah. just because nobody likes the T word in the NFL, and that's tanking. You don't want to blatantly lose games, and nobody blatantly does that in the NFL. I just don't believe that. But whenever you're going through a rebuild, something that you can always hang your hat on is, was this team competitive, especially when we're young? Like the Lions, I think that's something that they definitely can hang their hat on. I think they have some young, really good young pieces and spots. Panay Sewell was really coming to his own once they moved him back to the left tackle spot. DeAndre Swift looks like a long-term answer at running back, too. And then they have some others that are playing well so far this year. You know, with Brad Holmes only having one draft class so far, they're going to have another this year, obviously. And we know how well he's drafted as far as just being in the back pocket of less need when he was with the Rams. So we know... We know what he – he knows what he's doing when he's drafting. He knows the type of players that he's looking for too. So I think this is a team maybe two, three, four years from now that we're looking that definitely could be something. Now, you still got to get the quarterback situation right, depending on what they want to do with Jared Goff. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the long-term answer there just because of how limited he is. But as far as being a placeholder, I think Jared Goff is one of the better placeholders throughout the league as far as just having somebody respectable that back there. And you don't just have like – some slappy back there that you just don't feel comfortable about at all. So, yeah, uh, they should have won this game against the Ravens. You know, Justin Tucker saves the day with the 66-yard field goal, which is just remarkable. <laughs> but for the Lions to go out there and compete the way that they did against Baltimore at home, I think it says a lot about them being young and going through a rebuild and still being competitive with what's seen as a Super Bowl contender. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. I think Detroit has a lot of things to – come away as far as positive takeaways from this game. But I'm going to come to you now, Dre. What are some of the biggest takeaways that you had? Staying true to my West Coast roots, man. I mean, how impressive always. are the Rams, right? I mean, how how impressive are the Los Angeles Rams? I think they came out and made a statement uh, to the defending champs, man. I mean, there were several people who questioned how the offense would look with Stafford pulling the trigger. They have all but answered that. I mean, they are one of the most explosive offenses in the league. Um, obviously, their, their their defense has studs and Aaron Donald uh, and Jalen Ramsey, but they look to be the favorites, man, in the most competitive conference in football, which, in my opinion, firmly puts them in the conversation for the best team in all of football um, because they're playing the most competitive conference. I mean, so the Rams have been impressive, man. I mean, Sean McVay is in his bag, man. He's dialing up stuff, and Matthew uh, that effort is slinging the cover uh, off the ball, man. So, uh, yeah, man, they've been impressive so far for sure. 
Stafford's really unlocked what McVay wants to do in that offense. And we all know that Goff was limited in the offense, and that was the one of the biggest reasons why they wanted to get away and trade away Jared Goff, just because McVay had some stuff that he wanted to do in his offense. But with Jared, he just wasn't able to do that, just because Jared has good arm talent, but it's not Matthew Stafford level. And you saw the type of levels that Matthew Stafford can elevate this offense with Deshaun Jackson hitting him down the field. And then some of the other throws that he had, he had a nice touchdown throw to Cooper Cup as well. But I really like the energy that McVay had in this game. Deshaun Jackson had the long touchdown, and he's running down to the end zone with the team. So he was fired up to win this type of game, too. He knew what was on the line with this game just because it's, it's a confidence booster. You get Tom Brady, get the defending Super Bowl champs in your house, and you go out, and I think they dominated the game, in my opinion. Uh, I, I mean, he ran circles around Ty Bowles in this game, the secondary. And Matthew Stafford actually missed Deshaun Jackson early on in this game in a deep shot. So there was another touchdown that they left out on the field too. So McVay was fired up. He was fired up the entire game. Every time they scored a touchdown, he would run down to the end zone. Uh, I think it was halftime of where they caught a big play, and then he's running down the field, dapping everybody up too. So McVay, man. They're really feeding off of his energy. And, yeah, I'm with you. I think the Rams look like the best team in the league right now. And I know we're only three weeks in. It's a long season to go and a lot of games left to be played. But as far as how explosive they are on offense and then just how consistent they are on defense too. We know whenever you have Aaron Donald and then Jalen Ramsey, you're always going to give yourself a chance to play well on that side of the ball just because you're talking about two people that not only are the best at their position in the league, but they're top five to ten players in the league overall regardless of position. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Rams. I like what they're doing for sure. Did you guys have anything else that you wanted to add before we get out of here? Raiders 3-0 for the first time since 2002. Finding so, a way, man. Shout, shout out Derek Carr. Raiders just keep finding a way, right? Gruden, Gruden tried everything he could to get to lose that game, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, my last thing is, man, I don't know if you guys watched that game, but this dude, John Gruden, it's the first quarter – I'll tell you this. It's the first quarter. Derek Carr, I think, had just thrown a pick six. So you're down 7-0 to the Miami Dolphins. You have no offense to, to have at all. You're going to go for it on fourth and one on your own 34-yard line in the middle of the first quarter, giving the Miami Dolphins, with no offense, who can't score points, the ball on the 34-yard line. Why? Honestly, why? It's crap like that. It's just like you have a good team, man. You don't have to do all that. Just play – Smart football. Punt the ball. Play defense. Get the ball back to score. Don't give Dolphins short field. God. Sorry, I just want to get off my chest. Guys, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Gruden always has some of those moments like that of where he just tries to do a little bit too much. But that's that's him, man. He, he thinks he can outsmart everybody. And no risk it, no biscuit, like what <laughs> Bruce Arians says. So I think he has a lot of those moments of where he just tries to do stuff like that. But great week of football overall, college, NFL. Heck, man, I even got to watch some high school football called IMG Academy this weekend yeah. against the school in Massachusetts. Nice. Like just watching IMG for the first time in person, it's, it's ridiculous. Like left tackles committed to Auburn. They had two corners that are both committed to Clemson and the safety too. Like just seeing all them dudes in person, like you know they're future NFLers, but just seeing them all on the field together. 
it's a cheat code, man. Like they was up 35 nothing in the first quarter. So it's it's crazy, man. Just seeing all them dudes come together like that, seeing talent. I love calling those high school games. Just to, you get to see the future of college football and then the NFL too. So love doing stuff like that. But yeah, it was a great week of football for me. But as always, thank you guys for listening to the Read Option Podcast. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. Make sure to check out Bet Online. Me and Brentley will be back for Friday's episode to go down the week of games, college football games. We'll talk about our red dot prospects. And then next week, next Tuesday, we will welcome back Dre for another episode. As always, going over what happened in college football. We have a great weekend of games, especially in the SEC, where we have Ole Miss and Alabama. And then we also have Georgia and Arkansas, as well as a lot of other games. So, for Jordan Reed, Brentley Wiseman, Dre Harris, we are signing off. Thank you guys for listening to the Read Option Podcast. Make sure to leave a five-star review as well as subscribe and like the podcast as well. We will see you guys on Friday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.